Hi, this is Terry Edom. I'm right for the BOE report and my own website, Public Energy Number One. And I have a book called The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Appreciate you coming on the program here today. Of course, Terry Edom, a regular contributor here at The Crude Life. We're always interested in his insight. For one, he's got uh, the credentials he just mentioned. And number two, he's from Canada, or he's living up in Canada at least. Are you, do, were you, are you born and raised in Canada? I've never gotten that far into your personal life. So where, where are you from originally? I am born and raised in Canada. I'm from a farming community that's so small, no one would know where it is. It's uh, kind of straight north of North Dakota, a couple hundred miles, kind of on the edge of the tree line. So north of our farm was nothing but forest, so... We battled bears and you name it coming out of the woods to raid our farm. Sure. And then, and and, and now you're in oil country. You've been living in oil country for a while. You work for a natural gas company as well as the, the um, media credentials. But uh, how long have you been uh, out in the, is it Calgary? Is that right? Yeah, I'm in Calgary. That's where, this is the heart of the, the uh, petroleum sector in Canada. And when I graduated, out of university, the, the, the only jobs that were available were here. So a, a lot of Canada comes here. A lot of a lot of uh, Americans too. We have a lot of people from Houston and around the all over the place that come here. It's, it's a bit like Houston, I guess, in that way. It's a real magnet for for people. That's one thing I liked about it is they just they, they just uh, the industry's interested in dynamic people that are good at what they do and they don't really care where they come from or what they look like. You're welcome if you can get the job done. So. Let's get right to the topic at hand with Mr. Terry Edom, author, writer, and blogger. And one of the things where we do here at The Crude Life is we like to obviously go through a variety of topics, but some of them we we talk about quite a bit. Uh, Climate change obviously has been a big one, which I call earth changes. Either way, climate change is what seems to be the nomenclature. We also talk about a lot of small business because... The small business sector, from the truckers to the cafe owners to the fracker, sand operators, boy, small business really makes up a lot of oil and gas. Of course, Terry Edom, Mr. Socialist Government up there in Canada, and uh, be down here with the managed marketplace. What little free market we're hanging on to left here in, in the oil and gas industry. But the other one yeah. is the uh, reclamation side of things that we've been covering now for 10 years here on The Crude Life. And, of course, Terry Edom's uh, perspective is very well invited and needed here because of the Canadian upbringing to where his, his view is, uh, what, what's the, what's, what did he say once? It's the crowns? It's the Queen's land or something? Anyway, the Queen owns the land. Yeah, you yeah. guys are just happen to be on it, so it's got to be taken care of and yada, yada. So, anyway. Uh, let's talk abandoned wells a little bit. Um, let's talk about how how this came to light and uh, the Canadian and American perspectives. So uh, let's get into abandoned wells here. Sure. Well, it came in Canada here. It's been it's come to light a long time ago. But it's a bigger issue. It's kind of funny that you mentioned the the socialist overtones up here versus yours. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, so we've been dealing with it for a long time. And it's funny that uh, I first mentioned it on the crude, or first noticed it on the uh, as a U.S. phenomenon, also on the crude life on an email you sent out, Jason, where you kind of uh, brought the issue to light some of the issues. And now I see uh, today there's a big article in Reuters about the very topic. So I think they watch you, Jason, and they get their leads. Wouldn't surprise me. And the oh, the, they're the, the they're, they're the one. Good. I'm glad I got somebody. Good. 
Huh. <laughs> well, it's a big one. Yeah. Um, the the order of magnitude is huge. It's three million wells or more than that in the U.S. and Canada has a proportionally much smaller amount. It's kind of funny that you mentioned the socialist uh, nature of the governments because this is kind of an issue that crosses over the border where it's hard to say whether this is a free market thing or a um, a problem or a or society's problem. So the, the 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 background for a lot of people might not know is that wells have a useful life and when they're done, uh, quite often they'll sit there. Sometimes companies can go back in them and reuse them again. The little company I work for, we, we've made a living out of this. We went back to a field that was on the verge of being abandoned and we just went to different zones and we've rejuvenated the field. But a, and a lot of wells, that doesn't happen to and then they just get abandoned and some of them are leaking and they can be old messes and whatnot. And they can be very expensive to fix properly, especially if there's leaks. So, um, so it, it's it's a huge issue. And and the the what makes it so interesting is that a lot of these wells have changed hands many times, and the original owners who drilled them are long gone, and the people who produced them might be long gone, and they might have been bought and sold a half a dozen times since. So, so who do you hang the liability on when when that all of those people are long gone? Is it the present? owner which and you can make a good argument that they're they bought it and they should be liable for it and that they just didn't do their homework recognizing the liability there's some people that believe that it's a in part it's a bit of a responsibility for the the community or the state or whoever earned a bunch of revenue off it because they they they're the ones that benefited from it so and as like you mentioned in Canada here, the government owns all, almost all of the royalties, and we just lease them and we produce them and get get the we send them a check every month for it, just like you send your royalty owners, but except it's the government up here. So there's a bit of a philosoph- philosophical debate about ultimately who's benefited most from these. Um, but but at the end of the day, it's just a huge bill for some of these wells. Uh, some wells can be very simple and cheap to abandon, and some can be a nasty surprise when you go downhole, especially if there's something sour or corroded equipment or leaks downhole, uh, venting uh, leaks around the, the pipe for ba- bad cement jobs. So it, it, it's a it's a huge headache, and, and it, it's it, as it becomes more and more of a noted issue here, especially if you get some Democrats in power, you're going to see that this will really explode as an issue, I think, and um, and then there's there's a huge bill to pay, so it's going to get interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, and I'll make a prediction here. And this is a shale play profit prediction. Boy, I wish I could have had some bells and whistles for you because I've been investigating this for a few years now, and this last go-around, I, I had a few off-the-record phone calls with some people down in Texas and in Wyoming and in North Dakota. And the theme is going to be very interesting when it comes to these uh, American abandoned wells because I I personally believe this is not a political issue. This is a let's-get-it-done issue. If we need to figure Mm -hmm. out how to get some monies to do this, well, let's figure it out because there are lots of ways to trim fat. I'm not talking about creating new dollars here. No, I'm talking about trimming fat, okay, We've invested a lot of money into websites. We've invested a lot of money into technology, into logistics software. Let's see it work. Let's see it work. Let's see the government trim off 20% of of some things and put it into abandoned wells. Because here's the bottom line. From my understanding, the people I've talked to, and this is where it's going to get controversial, is 
it's the landowner's responsibility. That it's not the oil company's responsibility. It's the landowner's responsibility, therefore it's the state's responsibility. And the oil companies are one of the kings of the economy, so they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. They're the modern-day railroad. They're the big bad wolf. So they're, right. they're, they're going to get blamed in this. And it's the landowners who are actually dropping the ball at this, or you could argue it's the politicians and the, and the lawmakers who have not intervened on behalf of the people and said, okay, after 50 years in the state of Ohio and New York figuring out that these abandoned wells are an issue, we need more than a $5,000 bond. We need more than a $10,000 bond or whatever the bond might be because it ain't cutting it. Absolutely. So, you know, they can brag about, in North Dakota, they can brag about having an awesome library of rocks from the 1950s, but if they don't have a good system set up for these abandoned wells, I can guarantee you that's going to be one of the uh, deals. This is going to be this is going to be a political issue, and it's not a political issue. And so you're going to see a lot of different veins and a lot of different arteries come out of this abandoned well issue because uh, there might be over four million just in the United States alone. Wow. Yeah. So I, I don't know uh, what, what what you want to make of that there, Terry Edom. There's a lot to unpack. There is, and it's um, and whether it should be a political issue or not, I, I fear for you that it will become one, just as it's become one up here. It's just another another hammer for the opponents of hydrocarbons to use <clears throat> to come after um, big bad oil companies and, and throw the book at whoever they can. So, like if you if you gave AOC this file and asked her what she wanted to do with it, I, I, I got a pretty good idea. She'd come back with a big bill to hand to every every producer in the in the country so it, it's um it, it, i think it depends on who who gets their their mitts on it um there's another uh, article i just noticed here states ask trump administration to pay laid off oil workers to plug abandoned wells so they're kind of coming together trying to find a way to uh to um provide employment opportunities i guess too and i guess it's the states getting involved which might be kind of what you're saying that they're they're kind of saying accepting responsibility for it somehow the the weird part about these things is that it's um it's it can it depends on the sort of standards you apply like uh the, the standards have changed so much over the past 50 years when a lot of these wells were drilled a lot of these old problematic ones um i don't know about down there but we would we used to have things called flare pits up here where there was just someone would dig a big pit and and um uh d- dump the waste in there and then ignite it and uh, it, it worked fine apparently for decades, but but if these weren't done in the right type of soil, the 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 fluids in there could leach out. Especially if it's sandy soil, they could go wherever and contaminate um, underground uh, the soil underground. And now that's a big deal. So now there's a lot of uh, soil testing that goes on around these old sites, and they, and you have to go do water monitoring in an ever bigger circles until you find out how far the contamination has gone. So it depends to which standards you want to hold people to. The modern standards are far tighter than the the old ones. So uh, that that's part of the challenge too. Is some of these things you look into it and you, it looks okay on the surface, but it's like an iceberg. You, there's a lot that you don't see. And there's going to be a lot more issue to this too. And a lot of it has to do. You, you understand this, Terry Edom? You're in the media. That everybody. Uh, is a media person now. Anyone has a cell phone and a Facebook page and a YouTube account and a LinkedIn page oh, yeah. and an Instagram. And if you have social media, you are a little 
media company if you have a phone. And whatever you report is up to you. I mean, most people are just walking around being their own version of People Magazine and TMZ. But some people, you know, like you and me, hey, we like to try to, you know, produce some news and have some intellectual sans have some discussion i was going to say intellectual discussion but we don't want to lie too much on this show we it it, it can get deep here that's for sure i know that but my my point is that there's going to be more and more of these uh people uh filming these abandoned wells people getting hurt because there's more exploring and as that happens it's going to come out on videos and it's going to come out. I mean, I, I'm seeing all kinds of different uh, editing software that people can do on the fly. So the the uh, Greta Thunberg movement is going to come back. That's going to. In fact, oh, I, I was, I'm starting to see it's picking up steam again because she's starting yeah, to pop yeah. up again uh, in, in the media. Yeah. So it, it'll be an interesting dynamic what's going to happen with this, because, at the, like I said, at the end of the day, there's plenty of places to trim some fat. I mean. It's oh yeah, I mean, like I said, t- t- take away marketing dollars from half of the media companies. They have Facebook pages and and LinkedIn accounts and and Twitter, so they they they, they got an audience build up. They don't need you know to to use the media now yeah. for that stuff. But um, what do you make of all yeah. this? The climate change and and uh, you know the abandoned wells and you know that that whole angle. I see that not going away either. No, and I wish we could go back a few years and separate it all. But the 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 politicians, I think the I heard this analogy, and I think it's kind of true. After the fall of the the Berlin Wall back in '89, a lot of people won't remember that. The younger ones won't. But that's when communism kind of officially ended. The Soviet Union imploded. Russia decided they had to go to a free market, and uh, and then I've heard it said a few times that all those communists and ultra left wingers they didn't go they didn't die they just went into hiding and now i think they just came back under the climate change umbrella it's a, it's just an opportunity to uh to go for power the um and and i'm not making that up a lot of people will say that um point blank there was a i'm not sure if you're familiar with the extinction rebellion they're one of the wilder climate activist groups out of the out of the europe uk and um one of them wrote a big manifesto they're the ones who were blocking up blocking bridges and causing all sorts of trouble last fall uh, and one of their founders wrote wrote an article online saying that that's well, yeah, really not about the climate we, we want we want political change we want a new system we want to get rid of capitalism and and that sort of thing so they're that, that that's and so they're they're using the, um, the environment as um as their one of their weapons and and i really try and make that distinction now when i'm talking about it's it's ludicrous that you have people in the petroleum industry that are going after environmentalists an environmentalist is by definition a good thing that's someone that cares about the environment you care about pollution you care about waste you care about efficiency you want to see resources used properly so and 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 there's a lot of people in the um petroleum sector which are environmentalists because they care about all of those things so we shouldn't be calling climate activists environmentalists because we can be environmentalists too that's what they want they want us to call them environmentalists and they go oh look they're attacking anyone that cares about the environment it just helps them with their cause and and they're they're very good at what they do you, you mentioned the current media scene there was a, a spill in vancouver at a pipeline on the trans mountain pipeline it happens on pipeline sometimes it's on lease they contained it and um all all is well i mean it's not great that it's a spill for sure but uh some local environmental activist group 
And there I go. I called them environmental activists. Some climate activist group sent a drone up over uh, overhead. They filmed it, and then they, they don't understand what they're talking about. And they said, look at all this oil going off lease. And then they, they said it's uh, put out a news story saying that it's flowing into an aquifer, uh, a water aquifer, an underground aquifer. And it's not even true, but it's a news story because they had a drone, and they can film it, and they can say it. Now it's, And that gets picked up in the news because they, they like sensationalism, right? So so that, that's the challenge. I want to jump in here just a second about your uh, climate activists instead of environmentalists. That's an important thing to point out. I know uh, in the last interview you brought that up as well, and that's why I want to bring that up because it is important, much like how I think the climate change is not a is not a thing either. It's earth changes. We've been going through earth changes since Pangea. And so to talk about a climate change, that is a, to me, it's a way to control. It's a way to control the economy, a way to control people. It's a way to do a lot of different controlling type of um, maneuvers. And they started with global warming and global cooling and the the different, um, you know, Earth Day verbs and and changes that they tried, and then they settled on climate change because that's the universal one. But to me, I go back to climate activists, Earth changes. That, to me, sounds like a little bit more uh, factual way to look at it, Terry Edom. Well, and I think you can can slice it into a different, and we should slice it into different... um, um, philosophical things that we're talking about if the, the the climate activists argue that humans are changing the climate well and and they're they're saying we're doing it uh, by by having emissions which are changing the temperature and if you want to talk about that then you have to talk about the fact that there's seven billion people on the earth right now and we're feeding all of them and we're keeping them healthy and they're getting healthier every year and their lives are getting better every year and seven billion people is a big load on any environment. And if you, it's the same. If you started a new town in the, in the middle of North Dakota there, and you put in a hundred thousand people, it's going to change the environment. It's going to change everything around it. And that's what's happening around the world. And we consume a lot of stuff. So, it, to me, that's the the. Um, if you want to talk about humans impacting the climate, you have to start there and saying we impact everything. We impact the oceans. We impact every piece of shoreline there is because we put up a nice house if we can and we uh, put up a resort and we fly everywhere and we explore every nook and cranny in the world that we can and that's and and biologists do that and tourists do that and everyone does that and that can so that, that's all part of the that they, they don't want to talk about that part they just want to single out the fuel providers as the issue and it's well it's a lot bigger than that I in my opinion Back to the great philosopher George Carlin. Save the planet. The planet ain't going anywhere. You are. You know, that's that type of thing. Uh, circling back. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's, he's got a great rant on an environmentalist. Um, circling back to the abandoned wells. Uh, recap again how Canada handles that. Because, you, you know, you, you're in Canada up in Calgary, and you guys have really had a very good handle on you know, the, the, some reclamation regulations in terms of um, timeline versus the United States, and it's obvious. So uh, talk to us a little bit about the, um, that side of things, I guess. Sure. Well, we've had a couple of, um, a couple of waves, and you kind of have to go back a little bit in history, which I hate, because, I hate to because that gets boring, but 
uh, like 50 years ago, the standards were different and a lot of fields were being developed and people didn't look down the road and they didn't see how this would all unfold and what sort of um, things would be left behind. So so the, the biggest issues in Canada now are the old wells that were drilled with different technologies or flare pits, like I mentioned, which are no longer permitted, but they were back then, or sour gas fields, which which with uh, corroded pipes and leaks and that sort of thing. So th- those are the bigger ones. We've, we've wrestled with it for a few decades now, and we've had We've had some good standards come in, and then they get replaced by not so good ones, and now we're kind of scrambling again. Um, we, we there was uh, not that long ago there was a, a pretty good system that was uh, enacted where if you had a well that was inactive for ten years, you had to deal with it or come up with a plan to reuse it. You had to abandon it and reclaim the site, or show that you had a concrete plan to um, to to put it back into service. Then they moved away from that system to some political idea i guess and they came up with a different scheme where they they ranked uh, companies uh, how much produce productive assets the value of them relative to the value of the abandonments and then they just made a ratio out of that and then anyone with a ratio below a certain level was deemed to be kind of at risk and that was the system that's been in place for about a decade or so and it sort of worked but now that the uh, commodity prices have crashed so low and the companies are going out of business now. You're fine. You're getting these companies that have some of them have three, four, or five thousand wells, and then they just uh, turn out the lights and they run away because they they don't have any money anymore. And this has happened to a couple of companies up here. They just hand the keys over to the regulator and say it's all yours. We're we're gone, and and you can't put their assets up for sale. You can, but there's very little value in them. So there's we have what we call the orphan well fund up here, which is a levy that every company pitches into, to uh, that's that, that helps get rid of these problem wells that get abandoned by uh, owners that went bankrupt, and that's the biggest problem right now. And and to try and accelerate a cleanup and hang the bill on companies is just going to put more of them under. So that we're we're in a bit of a, a standoff here between the regulators, uh, the governments who want to see this issue kind of go away. And an industry that would like to see it go away too, but there's no means to do it. And then there's circling all around this is the climate activists who just want the whole industry wiped out anyways. So they're kind of smelling blood in the water here a little bit. And maybe that's going to come your way too. I wouldn't be surprised if it does. It's already starting to. You know, we've got obviously the George Floyd and uh, some of the uh, police brutality protests going on here in the u.s you have much of those in canada we do have some uh there's uh yeah we've had protests in all our cities here they've been largely pretty peaceful and and the to me the good side of this all is that if it if if this is bringing that that level of attention to racism which i do think racism is a huge problem no one can pretend it's not so i think that's a great thing um, the problem is when the bad eggs get mixed in there and then they start um, making it into something that it shouldn't be in the first place, the troublemakers, and then you have people that pick sides. And then now you have this, this. Uh, I mean, and if you, you can almost trace it back and see it unfold, right? Like a few bad eggs get police acting in a certain way and then and then the other side now has an enemy again in the police and, and now you have a, a huge problem that shouldn't... Now, now instead of just the problem of racism, now you have five problems that envelop everybody so it's just a disaster but um yeah i don't know what the right answer is there well there there is no right answer in the you know it's it's being it's being i guess uh discussed 
as we speak. You know, I've been involved a little bit in Fargo here behind the scenes, helping some of the speech writing and some of the peaceful. And I, I was kind of joking that, you know, we've had three protests here. One of them ended up in tear gas and broken windows, and two of them ended up in no riot gear and peaceful speeches. And I was involved in those two. I wasn't involved in the first one, so... Hey, man, you're, you're a good influence on crowds. I, well, I, I, I certainly do my best to try to keep peace, especially behind the scenes, and I can get a little animated yeah. at times uh, trying to, you know, just role play and show the passion that's there because really at the end of the day, it, it, there, there's a lot of racism that is coming out of this, a lot of awareness to the issue that yeah. still exists. However, and this is what I've talked to with the African-American community around my area, is this goes beyond racism. This, this is a broken system that allows bad apples to shine and become enabled. And that is unfortunately put on now the hands of a lot of African-Americans and Latinos because of the current system that allows that racism to exist. But at the end of the day, it is a broken system and it's the African-American community that is able to, I guess, um, lift up this social cause as a, you know, as a kind of empower a generation. So it's something. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's a, a lot of um, white people are going to benefit from this. A lot of women are going to benefit from this. A lot of Asians, you know, there's a if if they yeah. fix the issues and take care of the problems, it's going to benefit a lot more than just African-Americans. And to me, that's inspiring. I think that's really inspiring. It, it yeah, yeah, it's uh, it it's it's it reaches out everywhere, and and the uh, I, I think that's you're right. Just to bring awareness to it, there's one little story. It, it still makes me shudder a little bit. But so I I grew up in a rural community, and we were pretty pretty white bread. There was like immigrant farming communities, but I didn't see many colored people even until I went to um, university. And I, I met this guy in my second year. I think just a friend of a friend, a black guy. One of the first few black people I'd really talked to he's, he's pretty shy and quiet and um we were having coffee one day and I noticed that he had a big scar on his throat kind of right across like a good chunk of it and uh anyways it just after he went away I asked our mutual acquaintance I said he's a nice guy kind of quiet and, and we said yeah he just just a very quiet guy and I said what's that scar about on his neck and he said uh yeah he moved to some new community and that when he was in uh, junior high I think and just the bullying was so much he just tried to end it all and now he's carrying that for the rest of his life too so it's it's the um there's a i like i i can't i can't even guess what it's like to be in that situation i mean there's bullying and that sort of thing but there's like a lot of people have gone through those kind of experiences and it's and and now you see this kind of anger erupting and i kind of do see the point of you, you don't really know what it's like until you've been in those shoes so uh, yeah, respect for those people that are doing it peacefully, that's for sure. And I, I like to point out, too, that uh, I like to remind people that, thank God, they're just looking for equality and not revenge, because this could be a yeah. whole, oh, yeah, this could be a whole different pr uh, protest. I mean, these are not riots yet. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. They, sure, sure, they are a little bit, but not like what they they were. So that, That's right, and, and I've seen a lot of good... Uh, uplifting footage on, on social media and stuff of like black people calling out people that are trying to make this into something ugly, like people that are carrying bricks around and stuff and saying like, stop that. This isn't what it's all about or, 
or some guy in Minnesota was saying that there's no no black people I know that are burning down barber shops. <laughs> we don't want that. Like that doesn't help us one little bit. So there there there's a there's a lot of good people that are taking a stand on on this for and and, and it's just it's in some ways it's good to see that what the positive that can come out of this. So I'll tell you the traditional media is taking a hit on this because they are trying to uh, frame a certain narrative in the social media is painting a different picture. And mm-hmm. and and the traditional media better take better take note that the social media is starting to take the narrative back. Instead of telling people how to feel and think, social media is just putting it out there and, and becoming the news for this type of event. And it's interesting. It's it's interesting. CNN actually found out firsthand what it's like when they got arrested live on the air. What it's really like for most people. And um, Anyway, interesting times we're living in. And, of course, you guys have that in Canada. We have that in the United States here. This is a global yep. problem. Abandoned wells are a global problem. Of course, the uh, climate they change really are. movement. Well, oh, yes, something yes. Else. The, the, the global aspect of this, like in that one Reuters article that I saw, that they mentioned that Canada and the U.S. are the only ones, only nations that have really tried to get a handle on this. Like, could, could you imagine what this is like in Russia? Like, like or... Or, or even China or someplace where, where you can't see like like it just makes you shudder to think of what's gone on and w- w- have they cataloged anything do they where, where would they even start and do they care because they have no media to cover and they have no openness so um, the or, or Nigeria places like that um, anyways there's uh, globally this has to be like an unbelievable problem and it'll get solved. I mean, with with the drones and the satellites and, and all types of uh, thermal imaging and et cetera, they'll be able to locate them and, and, and that sort of thing. The problem is, you know, where's the money going to come from? Who's going to be in charge? How's the logistics going to work? Because I, yeah. I think most people are going to be on the same page with trying to just get these things plugged, trying to get them reclaimed, trying to make it so, you know, it's, it's better for Mama Earth. But the politics is what's going to be the problem because it's greed. Greed's going to step in and people are going to try to, you know, want their peace and, and everything like that. And in the meantime, you know, they're, they're going to yeah. stay abandoned, I guess. But so, all right, let's, uh, what, what, what are you guys working on? Public energy number one. Let's give your website a plug here. It looks like reincarnation is your lead story. June 5th, man, you got, yeah, you, you got to get updated. What, what are your week behind? I am a week behind. Yeah, I'm slacking. I, I bit off more than I can chew. I'm writing for the three websites now, so uh, I write an investment column for another one too. Oh, uh, now and, then, and, and uh, work is keeping us busy flat out here. We're just trying to keep keep the ship uh, going here. So uh, yeah, just just uh, lots on the go. But I do I do need to get some things up there. I've been trying to rethink the the um, the debate has just gotten so bad about oil and gas, and it became defensive and and uh, spending time trying to engage uh, climate, the climate side of things and trying to find some sort of bridge. But there's, I think, I think there's 10% of people that don't want a bridge on either end of the spectrum. And, uh, and there's, and we just have to deal with 80% in the middle of people that want to find a, find, they want to live a good life peacefully and they want to uh, find realistic solutions. And uh, I think we just have to forget about the extreme elements um even though sometimes they get into power and, and control things but uh if we're going to make change we have to get engage the the general population which is what i tried to do with my book i tried to make energy 
relatable for people because I don't think it is. I think most people uh, care about energy to the extent that how much it costs them to fill up their vehicle and beyond that, they don't think about it at all. Uh, so, but but they really should because it's the, the cheap energy is the cornerstone of everything that we that we take for granted, which is our whole life. So, uh, yeah, just just keep plugging away on that and try and find a peaceful way to do it and or a funny way. The reincarnation one, I, I wrote that because it made me laugh. So hopefully, if you read it, it'll make you laugh too. So, uh, uh, and then at the end of the day, I just want to start laughing more and uh, spreading about these unsolvable issues less. So that's my new direction. <laughs>